hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 74. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by my two friends and co-hosts, Alex Fasciani and Hi. Jesse Cox. Ooh. You're already shaking your head, Jesse. Oh, I wasn't shaking my head. That was a positive. I'm ready to oh, hear the okay. end. I was like, a, I'm not ready for this story. already. Well, maybe I was. We maybe are. I was subconsciously shaking my head because I know what's about to happen. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, we're, we're today's I'm the day. Worried. We're we're finishing up the trilogy of Robert Irwin, the the killer from the 1930s, the man who enjoyed visualization as some bizarre, strange thing. But the only thing I can visualize right now is Patreon. I don't oh, know man. about you, Alex. And there's a good reason for that. The reason you can think about it is because it's what keeps this show going. And without it, there wouldn't be a Illuminati podcast every week for you to listen to. So if you want to become part of that cool, cool group of people that comes over there, supports us, and gets a bunch of great crap in return, awesome art. Uh, <laughs> Should we call it crap? I, I mean, <laughs> it's crap. You know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a term of endearment. Right, right, <laughs> right, know, right. All that, all that useful worthwhile crap that we offer on our <laughs> patreon head over there to patreon.com slash pod it can all be yours and if you get to the end of this episode and you're thinking to yourself man i love this show i wish that there was like a bunch of 15 minute chunks that i could just listen to to tide me over till next week that's that's the star of the show baby the freaking chill minis you know what i'm saying Ch- chill minis exactly uh last bit of shilling i'll do before we move on to the topic uh this week this month poster uh, for Patreon is going to be Jeff the Mongoose themed, everybody. Oh so if you God, want a Jeff the yes. Mongoose poster, the eighth wonder of the world. A classic. It's uh, it's being made right now. It looks phenomenal from what I've seen so far. I, and over on. Oh, yes, Jesse. No, I just I, I want it to be, you know, just Jeff sitting there reading a newspaper, sipping a coffee. <laughs> sipping a coffee. Yeah, you know, just- like a nice shit eating grin on his face. And he's like, yeah, I live in your walls. If we could just get something like that. That'd be great. The three of us might be little bunnies, dude. He knows. Not, I'll say. He knows. I've always said I was a little all bunny. All your secrets. He knows yeah. every secret you have. He does. He knows all your secrets. Uh, and last but not least, head over to the yeti.com slash collection slash Illuminati. The Mothman t-shirts are gone, but people like the art so much, we actually turned it into a poster. So if you really like that art, you can go grab a poster for it right now. And the next cryptid comic t-shirt is well in the works. We've gotten a preview of the, uh, of the art. There's still a little bit more to go before it's fully ready. But keep your eyes out. That'll be over on the Yeti when it launches. That's nice. it for shilling. That's all I got. It's time to talk about and finally end the story of Robert Irwin. Oh, my God. I can't wait. This is going to be wild. Last we left our dear friend, Robert Irwin. He had recently left the Burke Mental Institute after an extended stay, heading directly for Manhattan. The reason for his departure, as he claimed as a reminder, was that two of the staff nurses were so desperate in their attempts to sleep with him that he had to leave. Is this, he claims is this to true? have slept with... Well, well I, get, hang on. We'll get into it. Okay. That's why I dropped he, out of college, too, dude. Everybody was just trying to... Trying to jump your dick, busy, dude. I understand. Dude. That's what. That's why we had to go into podcasting. Yeah, you can't I wanted see to get our a, sexual faces. I wanted faces. to get a real job. I wanted to have an education, but the ladies would not leave me alone. When there's a live show again, we can we can fix that, right, guys? <laughs> right, right. Alcohol fixes it, for sure. Right? Uh, <laughs> he claims that he slept with one of them only to turn her down when she came back wanting more, which made her incredibly mad and, quote, treated him like a, like the devil. What? He never slept with the other one, however, but she was equally as mad, according to Robert, that he wouldn't sleep with her. And that is the reason he apparently left. However, a little further digging into the Burke Foundation paints a slightly different picture of Robert and the reasons he left. You don't say. <laughs> he really? wasn't an, uh, uh, an, a complete sex machine that everybody no, wanted. Crazy. I have to be honest with you. Lying? I, was, I was lying, <laughs> guys. I'll come clean. I was lying too. That's not why I dropped out of college. It's mostly just my fault. <laughs> no, Robert. Much like much like you, Alex, it was also his fault that he had to leave. Uh, Robert had gotten into consistent physical quarrels and had many violent outbursts at the slightest provocation. It seems like him leaving was for the best for everyone, and they kind of encouraged him to get back out into the public and get out of here. Regardless of the specific reason, his excursion to Manhattan would what be would change the course of his life forever. And yes, while it's the, this place where his grisly crimes were committed, I do want to say personally that I believe that Robert Irwin, if not having committed these murders here and now, as we're about to cover, I believe even if he didn't go to Manhattan, he was on a path to murdering someone eventually. So while there's a lot of what seeming serendipitous things that led him down this path, 
I just think it was uh, it was bound to happen. At some what point. year is this when he goes to Manhattan? Uh, we are currently sitting in 1932 as Ooh. we pick up the story. The situation in Manhattan actually provided no respite for Robert, as he would soon find out. It was 1932, and unemployment levels were still near peak depression percentages of 25%. The first job he found out in that way was as a dishwasher in the cafeteria of the New York Supreme Court building. Wow. The job was so low paying, though, that he actually couldn't even afford a one-room shack. And within weeks of his sudden arrival in Manhattan, he ended up in a Hooverville one of those cardboard shack towns where a homeless gathered probably in central park. Most likely if he's in Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, that makes the most sense. I'm looking at photos of Manhattan, 1932 right now. And it's mm-hmm. just incredible. Like, it, it's, it's weird time. I mean, this is still less than a hundred years ago, Yeah, but you think about it as being so old because obviously you're not from 1932. You have no experience before you were born kind of thing. And when you look at it, it's, it's Manhattan and the parts of the city that are tall look tall and the parts yep. that it's just so weird to see, but it's in black and white and it just looks so different, but is still so very modern. It's wild. It's, yeah, it's wild still to look recognizable at. and still the same. In yeah, a lot of ways. It's so crazy to look at, but it's <laughs> New York. It's always looks the same. Yeah. Well, Robert ended up living in these cardboard shacks for only a few weeks. It wasn't and it wasn't this newfound poor man's existence that ended up shifting his motives to the more violent that uh, it wasn't it wasn't that while he was away. What did, however, begin to slow the slow tumble into madness was his chance encounter with his old acquaintance, Chuck, from the mental institutions that he was going into. He had le- uh, Chuck had uh, last left a few weeks before Robert and found himself a nice little room he was renting from a family at then the t- uh, 240 East 53rd Street. Feeling bad for his once companion from the mental hospital, Chuck actually offered Robert to come stay with him in his little one-room suite, only until he got back on his feet. He'd simply have to meet the family first, uh, who were the landlords and owner of the building that he was living in, and get their approval. And that family was the Gedeons. This family was a small Hungarian immigrant family. The father, Joseph, was a skinny-looking dude with hollow, long cheeks, a long, pointed nose, a scraggly mustache and piercing eyes while his wife mary was a quote magyar beauty in her youth unquote i'm sorry had allowed her some to be beauty a magyar beauty in her you spell that what is magyar m-a-g-y-a-r magyar beauty i imagine uh, it it means she's just gorgeous from where she came from hungry out there it's uh, just it's just hungarian person yeah Yeah, okay yeah yeah, you're absolutely right okay yeah 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 yeah. all right i was like (laughs) what is that a phrase i should know yeah, no, that's just what it's, it's they described her as a Magyar beauty. Yeah. Um, but in her in her uh, had allowed herself to become, quote, plump and dowdy in her middle ages, though she was still considered quite comely. <laughs> the two is, daughters. This is just a, a surreal these, description of someone. Right. <laughs> plump and dowdy, but still comely. Yeah, mm-hmm. but still comely. <laughs> yeah, still comely. The two daughter. They had two daughters, Ethel and Veronica, Ronnie for short. They were 20 and 15 year olds at this time, respectively. And while Ronnie was always described as exuding a lush sexuality at this age that she would wield with force in the future, turning her into a tabloid star as she entered adulthood, Ethel was also beautiful to behold and immediately taken Robert's attention. After a short meeting, the Gideons had no objection to Robert moving in with Chuck, and shortly thereafter, he ended up living there. But meanwhile, behind the scenes, even after leaving Burke and seemingly better off, Robert was still struggling fiercely with his uncontrollable sexual urges. I, he was a dude, horny motherfucker. This is so crazy. What it's you're not- describing is like so crazy. But at the same time, based on the last two episodes, I understand why sex is his driving force mm-hmm. because it is one of those things where his father, like it is clearly his. Yeah, he doesn't really understand what it is, but he's obsessed. And the, and with the mother it. being yeah. a hyper religious zealot raising him, and it's 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 a mix. And he's obviously, and obviously, he's also got some issues that the 1930s are not equipped to handle in the mental health world. Oh, absolutely! Um, yeah, this is definitely yeah, it's, like it's, a, he's obsessed with sex on a mental health 
level rather yeah, than like physical. I got to jizz on people. I can't believe I just said that. That's what I just. That's what I added to this <laughs> Welcome podcast. Welcome, Jesse. Hey, look what happened. That's what I added to this podcast. To... Cool. So thrilled <laughs> gotcha. about that. Yeah. Yes, Robert was an uncontrollably horny man, and bringing him in close proximity to two nubile young ladies, oh. one of which flaunts her good looks for her own purposes regularly, God. and and Robert couldn't handle it. He was masturbating constantly, multiple times every day, <laughs> to lewd fantasies that he claims he could not stop, no matter how hard he tried. Well, I mean, like, listen, as who here hasn't lost their mind and just needed to slice a bitch and murder someone because you're just so horny. I uh, have not. I have gonna, another gonna, confession about why I had to leave college. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> and according to Robert, all of this horniness was constantly blocking up his ability to refine his visualization talent. And he finally got so sick and tired of his own horniness that he devised a plan. You know, I know that you mentioned that you thought he didn't have to go to New York to become a killer, right? Yes. But there's something about that city that you can get lost in and mm. it's like get Gotham away with, City. Yeah. Yeah. You can get away with crazy shit, especially before New York really started to crack down up until the mid 80s, early 90s. Yeah. New York was effing crazy. So. You know, That's true. I mean, New York might have been, you know, part of it and trying to survive in New York as a poor man, as he already was, at, or, you know, after the Depression, but still feeling the, the the ripple effects of it. I can't imagine it was good for his health. He definitely also has that kind of 4chan vibe. Oh, like, my God. He's just like, wait. these women, I deserve them. And oh, the my God, dude. Just they wait. Be with me. You're like, whoa. OK, my dude. How did yeah. he make enough fantasies that he was sleeping with the nurses? And that's the reason he had to leave, because He's not an incel. Every lady wants to hop on his penis. That's what I'm, I'm telling you. I've, it has that vibe. It has that vibe of yeah. like, I demand the government issue me a woman like that kind well, of vibe. We're yeah, like, what is like this somebody is who thinks life is World of Warcraft. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please. Well, and like wow, parts- you have to earn your ogre bride, my friend. Or Thank you, you pre-order the game and you get an alternate color for free. Okay. And that's what I am. Oh, <laughs> Oh, Robert is that really what you is meant? A man. I thought you meant like an orc wife. Women. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Orc, yeah like a, a wife from WoW. <laughs> Sorry, I create my orc wife. Thank you very much. But it's like Robert is a man of two of two different personalities right now. He's he's when he's not horny, he hates himself and hates how horny he becomes. But he's horny all the time, and it it literally prevents him from doing the one thing he wants to do when he's not horny. Well, which he also is has art that, and visualization. He also has that thing, like you were saying, where his mom instilled in him that oh, yeah. that's like a sin. Right. Like yep. feeling lust and liking women uh, in that way and not for like to raise the family is a sin. And so that's also like, you know, the kinky part of it yeah. for my bet where he's like, it's hot because yeah. it's it's sinful. Oh, yeah. Like that messes you up. All I'm saying oh, is it's natural, baby. It's natural. It's all good. It's all good. Well, the genius that Robert is wanting to focus on his ability to visualization devised a plan. And he got tired of his horniness on Wednesday, October 27th, <laughs> less than a week after he moved in with the Gideon family. Literally out, like five days. <laughs> Can you reread that statement, please? Just the last <laughs> line. Please reread that. This that is he how got crazy this and, sounds. And then sick and tired of his horniness. And so he devised a plan to finally rid himself of it. And on the morning of Wednesday, October 27th, Less than a week after he moved in with the Gideons. I love the idea of it's like he finally devised a plan to get rid of his horniness. So yep. he did so on the morning of October 27th. <laughs> it's like when you take something out to the dumpster. And so he yeah. did. Well, this is what he did. Uh, it was time to remove his horniness permanently. That very evening, Robert had come up with a plan to remove his penis. I knew he was going to cut his penis oh, off. This is where we're going. This is, oh, yeah. this is the this is the big brain. Yeah. This is the big this brain, the big brain. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you First. think you think you want to kill all the women because you can't stop thinking about them. But you know what? Give a man a fish. He eats for a day. <laughs> Cut his penis off. He never has sex again. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. oh, my God. Yeah. Here so, we go. Uh, Down the rabbit hole. First. Well, Robert is also a mega coward. We'll learn. First, quote, he put a strong rubber band. Let me say 
Quote, I put a strong rubber band around my prick to make it numb so it wouldn't hurt. Are you sure you're not reading the Bill Carradine episode (laughs) again? I'm pretty sure. Okay. All right. Then after he affirmed that the the rubber band was tight enough, he gathered his things and went for a walk outside. What? Quote, I walked the streets. With the the cock ring on? With the rubber band around his dick. Yep. I walked the streets, then went all the way to Brooklyn by the subway in order to kill time to leave it on my penis until it got numb so that I wouldn't feel the pain. That's not how <laughs> he went what? for a walk so his penis would get numb. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he thought that, you know, walk it out, my dude. wait for the penis to get numb. Wait, but he's so this after- is just a dick thing, not a ball thing. This is just his dick. Yep, this is his dick. So he doesn't understand science either. Is what no, he's, he does no understanding He's just going to have a whatsoever. bad time peeing from now on. <laughs> he's like, he thinks he's, con- he's convinced it's the, it's the penis that's the problem. So after hours of walking around outside, he then returned home, took out a brand new sharp Gillette razor, and slowly began to cup. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> why not, why not just like one of those cleavers they have at like a Chinese restaurant? Bam! You know what I'm saying? He started to slice away at it with a Gillette razor. No way. Oh, my God. Dude. And then unsurprisingly, however, this didn't last long. Later, he explained, quote, on the outside of my prick, I didn't feel it at all. But when I got to the inner cords, Jesus Christ, it hurts so damn much. You have no idea. Why does he sound like Mo Sislek? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. It's my fault. (laughs) I kept on trying just a little bit at a time until I got to the place where I just couldn't stand it. Unquote. Why? However, what? All He's the while. He's even bad the rub- at this. Like, my dude yeah, still, he so can't my dude do it. Like, he got to the point where it hurt and then he was going down there with the razor and just being like, like little at a time. I can't. What? That's like a terrible. No one would ever. So my dude didn't even cut his penis off. He just like cut his penis. He just cut his penis. And eventually it got too, too painful for him. And, but the rubber band was still tightly wrapped. And now using it like a tourniquet, Bob rushed himself to the hospital under a fake name, asking the nurse to please finish the job and finish the amputation. Oh, my the nurse, God. My... The nurse, of course, turned him down. He's got like and a told weird him, feeling in my butthole. I hate that. <laughs> and told him to come back tomorrow and ask the doctor the following morning. What? And so he did after she treated it and made sure that he wasn't going to bleed out. And he returned the following morning, pleading with the doctor to finish the job. The doctor ignored him, gave him seven stitches up of his penis, and sent him off to the Bellevue Mental Bellevue yeah, Mental Institution. Oath. No way a doctor's yeah. gonna be like, "All right, I'll do it." Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you want to do it? Let's and, and do it. He, you don't. You here. seem perfectly fine. Yeah, no, he's fine. He's healthy. You don't he's, need he it, absolutely. Right? Yeah, no, he doesn't need it, dude. Uh, this is and after he was brought to the Bellevue Mental Institution, it's here he would spend the next five months. So dude got out of the hospital, lived basically on the streets for three weeks, got brought into a, a room for about five days where he could not stop masturbating. So decided to try to cut his dick off and then ended up back in a mental institution oh later on. God, dude, what? A that was all about three weeks. <laughs> and it's as if the winds of fate truly had no other use for Robert Irwin. Everywhere he was flung, he had a meeting with someone who would further push him down the rabbit hole of horror, even if accidentally. And in Bellevue, Robert would meet with Dr. Wordham, who would go on in later life to give you an idea who Dr. Wordham was. In the 50s, he would go on to write the book Seduction of the Innocent. Does anybody here know what Seduction of the Innocent is? The Batman and Robin? Gay Batman? He he would go on to to write and rail against in the courts uh, comic books. He became a real Joe McCarthy kind of figure in that regard. He was blaming comic books for the rise of violence in the youth in the 50s. He like fucked, up the, whole com- he, like, he fucked up the whole comics industry. Yeah, he did. He actually bankrupted a ton yeah, of different he comics. He fucks up everyone because of the comics code. If you want to read more about him, there's actually more about him in the book. We're not going to dive too far into him, but this is who the this dude came across Robert Irwin. That's God, so crazy. Yeah, but not only that, he became so infatuated with Bob that he had um, that he actually made time in, in his busy schedule. He had actually a schedule of he had to meet with 400 patients a month, every month, uh, according to his job. But he literally went out of his way to make time daily to go meet with Robert Irwin after he first met him. Um, Dr. Wordham became so infatuated with Bob. He had read many different theories and studies of people who have had the urge to cut off their own dick, but never had he had a patient who had actually made an attempt. And he thought through Robert 
he might be able to get to the root of the cause and find out a reason and a treatment for this mental affliction. I got a worse cutting off your penis story than this. Uh-oh. I think we what? all know the one I'm thinking of if you're as macabre and gross as me, but let's save it for another time. Okay. I don't know. Uh, and I'm can... so thankful. I don't. It, well, I've never you know, been more thankful. This. It involves a cannibal. Mm, no, I'm good. I mean, Dahmer. Nah, it's not, yeah, this one's worse than that. I mean, I, I, I feel like this one fucks me up more, but we'll talk about it at a, uh, at a yeah, later we'll date. Another episode, that's something, to ask, on this. That's something <laughs> to ask me when you see me at a, at a convention again someday. There you go. So Dr. Wordham, so infatuated with Robert, like I said, took time every single day to go meet with him. And he was quoted as saying that Robert was, quote, a nice, frank looking young man who spoke with emphasis and conviction. That's all it takes. <laughs> that's all it takes to win him over. Regardless of their of their long conversations, however, Bob was in the throes of his visualiz- visualization nonsense at this point, completely and utterly convinced that his uncontrollable horniness was clogging up the creativity pipe and it needed to be removed, asking a surgical intern at the hospital he was now at at one point to, quote, do him a great favor and amputate his penis. Dude. Continuing, continuing saying to the intern, quote, he said if I didn't, when he got out, even after a stay at the state institution, he'd find someone, even a man on the street, and pay him to amputate his penis. Oh, my God. Unquote. Dude, this guy, is, I mean, you can give him credit for being a doer, you know? <laughs> at the very least, this man knew his priorities. And when he spoke to Dr. Wordham about uh, this, this feeling of, of visualization being clogged up, Bob compared it to his brain being like a radio and his penis when he got horny, sending interfering signals to his brain, and he couldn't think straight. What a so, crazy, like, literally wrong just being science. horny. Like, I don't like, but it's just literally like when you get so horny, you're just like, I just need to fucking, where's my girlfriend? This like, is like the guy who invented cornflakes or whatever. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Cornflakes were originally an anti masturbation aid. Whoa, I think I knew that actually. But what? Like, I, yeah. I mean, like, look it up. It's just like, there's what no do you more mean? to that. There's just no the more co- to that. There's no more to that story than that. He was just like, look, if you get turned on by a lady, eat these cornflakes. Cornflakes are so boring. <laughs> that can't be down. true. Dude. That a dude was just like, all right, gents, if a lady's if a lady's ankle turns you on so much that you just gotta <laughs> jerk it, eat these flakes instead. I refuse to. Be- you know what? Never mind. That's exactly what kind of country America was, dude. We still <laughs> we're still struggling with that I was shit. Say, we're trying to people trying to drag us back to that. Yeah. Where we're gonna have anti masturbation <laughs> Cheerios next. Like you know what? Anti masturbation Cheerios are the best flavor. Real talk. Out of all the <laughs> Cheerio flavors, the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's not completely true, but it's close. <laughs> I can't just say it's part. It's, it's like part of. True. It's part of a. Like it's part like that's a detail of the story. It's like, you know, there's more to it. Yeah, there's, there's more, more to layers. it. Got it. Okay. Well, all these months he in this institution and he still Dr. Wordham still could not get Robert to stop trying to get his dick removed. I can't. And now determined to see if he could get through to him. Dr. Wordham tried to appeal to Robert's rational side, letting him know that even if his penis is removed, there's no guarantee the urges would go away. He then went on to cite examples of prisoners who no longer have access to regular, normal, hetero, or should I say heteronormal, regular sexual activities. I put that in air quotes, by the way, stating that once men are in prison, if they no longer have access to their wives or girlfriends, they would resort to even sleeping with one another and performing perverted homosexual acts just to get the urge out. To this point, Robert actually conceded, but said, quote, I'm willing to take the chance in becoming a cocksucker, end quote. To him, the benefits outweighed the risks. What? Yeah, what's he said the di- he wait, why? What's the uh, difference whether it's penises or vaginas? Well, he's saying like, if losing my penis makes him want to suck dick, then that's just a risk he's willing to take. What? As long as like the benefits what? of losing your dick and unclogging your visualization are worth the risks wait, no, of but wanting that's, that's, to like. But like, I, there's no thought I, process if, here. Well, you're also you're all, we're also talking 1930s. If I end up no, still horny, but now I want to suck dicks yes, instead, I'm good. That's that's the the thing here is like he's like, well, look, I'm super horny all the time, and <laughs> I think I should get rid of my dick. And the guy's like, whoa, without a dick, you're gonna start sucking dicks. And he's like, that's fine with me. I, I don't get. But like, he'd still be horny then. 
That does not tell anybody. Now he's gone from like, these women are driving me crazy to now like, these guys are driving me crazy. I can't stop thinking about penises. Yeah. Nothing has changed. Maybe. So, no, I know. This guy is not as as smart as he thinks he is. I know I'm blowing out some minds here, but he's not really that much of a genius, everybody. He's not. Um, and so when he when asked if he'd read uh, then furthering uh, questioning whether Robert had read about removing his penis somewhere and maybe he'd got the idea from that, uh, Robert replied, quote, no, it was a plan of his own grand invention. He visualized it and he then visualized it. He so asked the next anyone point, in the world to do it for him. I, re- I simply wrote two words because Dr. Wordham at this point is is as you will desperate to find a cause. And at this point in time in history, uh, Freudian uh of uh, theories are really dominant. And so Dr. Wordham started taking him down the path of his childhood, seeing if something had happened in his childhood that made him so obsessed. Because on top of that, as we talked about last episode, Robert also was really, really, really enjoyed tits. Like that was another thing he constantly talked about. Who doesn't though? Let's be real. Fair, fair. But like, it was like an obsession. And so he tried to bring him back. And so the two words I wrote down were mommy tits what? Just so we could quickly, briefly talk wait, about. Wait, 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 can wait, we just wait, go ahead? No, can we just go ahead and put it right? Everything so. Yeah, yeah. Can we so just put in so quotes as, words? Mommy tits yeah. is not a word. Mommy t- <laughs> well, no, it's two words. <laughs> yeah. It's two words. Yeah. Mommy tits. Oh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, you got me there. <laughs> yeah, it's two words. Um, but so he started to, to try to figure out if he had seen any trauma, and what he had learned uh, about Robert is that his mother actually was not very closeted when it came to sex talk. In fact, she believed relatively liberally back then. It was better for their children to get the straightforward talk from their parents than discover smut in public and become a, per- a sex pervert. Right. And, and so she did. Um, <laughs> how, however, it also included lots of nude baths with mommy all the way until like he was like 13, which included um, a top off and in, in, uh, seeing his mother's breasts. And that ended up being a focal point for Robert. He actually spoke quite fondly of his mother's breasts. Oh my they God. were perky and didn't sag in her old oh age. My God. And he enjoyed the sight of them quite often. But he also discovered through quite speaking often. with Dr. Wood. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> quite often. But he also discovered oh through God. speaking to Dr. Wordham that he no longer, he didn't actually love his mother. In fact, he hated her for everything that he poured in, uh, that she poured into him regarding religion and the way she raised him. Oh Fair boy. enough. But his breasts, but her breasts were quite beautiful. What? This guy, the, this guy there's is a lot more. Again, go read the Mad <clears throat> Sculptor if you want. If that part interests you and you want more details, go read. I'm good, but it's just it's just not. We can leave not, it there. Not important. I feel like I've got him down. I feel like I see where he's at. <laughs> see where his head's at. So during his months at the hospital, Doctor Wordham had so thoroughly enjoyed Bob and his art that he actually was able to attain Bob sharp sculpting tools in clay when he no longer thought Bob was going to slice his own dick off. And to his credit, he Bob didn't actually, he didn't, he didn't actually slice his dick <laughs> to off. To his credit, he didn't cut off his own penis. You know what? It's true. If that's what to his credit is, give me a fucking trophy because I don't do that shit <laughs> every day of my life. Every day of my life, I don't cut off my penis. Moreover, it did seem in the ways, in the ways he was speaking, that he no longer had a desire to cut off, cut off his own dick, making jokes about his previous desires and how silly they were. <laughs> I was gonna cut it right off. I swear. <laughs> That's really what it was like. That was what it was like. And oh he no, told you spilled a joke. the coffee. What am I gonna do? Cut off my own penis? So, uh, uh, just a, a star trigger warning here for some people. There's actually a joke that he re- refers to, to that the uh, uh, author refers to that he tells the doctor, and he talks about a re- uh, a Jew, an Irishman, and a Scotsman going into a bar, getting drunk, and raping a woman. Whoa! And what? they get arrested. Yep, yep. And they get arrested. And what they and, and then the judge uh, gives them uh, judges them guilty, and each one has to choose a way in which they get their own dick cut off. The Scotsman chooses to get uh, get his dick cut off with an axe. Uh, the Jewish man chooses the the best anesthesia and surgery in town could buy. And um, the Irishman uh, said he wants to get his dick uh, sucked until it fell fell off. <laughs> and then when the doctor said, and, and and Robert started cackling, and the Roberts and, and the doctor asked why that was remotely similar to to his issue, he said. Oh, I don't know. I guess it's because their dicks were going to come off like I wanted mine. What? Yeah, that was the only relation he had, but he thought it was a great joke. That's what? This dude <laughs> was not coaching. Okay. He was not present no. on the earth. And he's he continues to spiral. Um, but he didn't. He hey, he didn't cut off his own dick. And uh, he actually started his own for that one. 
Yeah. And he actually started his own small business in the mental institution, making a little bit of money on the side, working on clay busts of the nurses and doctors. <laughs> there. Gonna be like cutting off people's dicks who asked him. No, some nurses and doctors would give them pictures of their children. He would make clay busts of them and he would make and stash a little bit of cash doing it. But there was one moment that stuck out. A nurse had wanted a bust from him, but had very little money. Robert, trying to be kind, actually negotiated and brought his meager prices down to accommodate the nurse. And he got to work on the bust. About a week later, the day he was finishing the sculpt, the nurse approached and let him know she needed to cancel the order because she didn't have the money for him. This sent Robert into an absolute angry rage, but it was nonviolent, as Dr. Wordham was actually close by. When Dr. Wordham was able to get him away and ask him in private how he felt about her canceling the deal, he said, quote, I'd like to cut the titties off the damn bitch. Oh, end quote. Yeah. So another another kind of clue that these violent outbursts are more than just uncontrollable outbursts. There's thought, there's rage, and he hangs on to it for a long time. And it was after this incident that Robert was transferred 20 miles north to Rockland Institute also known to inmates as, quote, the house of despair. It's a class, it's, and basically, if you want to look into it, um, there were 30 full-time staff members with over 4,000 patients. They only got one visit with the doctor a month at best, and it was short. And it's one of those typical 30s institutions that was a place of torture, um, uh, days of being kept in a straitjacket when you're only supposed to kept, be kept in them for no more than two hours, beatings, um, a room of 70 plus uh, people shoulder to shoulder with nothing to entertain them and a checkerboard and a half a deck of cards. It was that kind of place. And that's where Robert was shipped to. During his time here, he got into at least 25 physical fights and his grand plans of visualization only became more unhinged. Unfortunately for us, though, there are not a lot of leftover records of this place as the hospital shut down decades ago. And we don't really know the history of Robert during his time here, though his need to take his own dick off seemed to have subsided completely. He attempted multiple escapes, eventually succeeding uh, a few times, but on the final time, he actually was able to head directly to Dr. Wordham's apartment. He had been in regular correspondence with the doctor and knew where he lived. When he arrived at his doorstep, he began to ramble nonsensically and claimed to have felt too restricted within Rockland he couldn't be sent back. Dr. Wordham heard him out, and convinced him to come with him to a psychiatric meeting he actually had that night, where he would be put on the spotlight and asked questions by all kinds of different psychologists in the field, where Robert uh, would become giddy that was he was the center of attention, attention and spoke openly of his sex life, childhood, and other more deep perversions. You can kind of think of it like, you've ever seen those pictures of like surgeons kind of in like an auditorium looking down on a yeah, surgery being absolutely. performed? Yeah. It's that, but for psychologists. And basically he was brought in and everybody could ask him all kinds of questions. And he was surprisingly openly detailed and everybody had different um, potential diagnosis for him, but none really settled in. He never got treatment for any of them. He thoroughly, like I said, enjoyed the attention though, and really enjoyed being the spotlight. Alex, were you going to say something? No, no, I'm just constantly being like, this guy really is this guy. And I just can't believe. Yep. He really is this guy. After this whole thing, Wordham was actually able to convince him to return to Rockland, where he would spend another six months until the doctors finally no longer saw him as a threat and considered him, quote, much improved, releasing him back into New York. Shortly after his release, he would be hired by a man by the name of Gilbert Mag. I think it's, Ma- you say it Magi? It's M-A-G-I. Magi? I want to say it's Magi, but I'm like, that sounds like too. Maybe it's McGee. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's McGee. I'll say Magi. This guy's name is McGee. (laughs) Gilbert McGee, dude. Uh, So he was hired by uh, Gilbert Magi working on making sculpts with him, actually able to put his skills to use. And uh, he was actually able to pump uh, pump (laughs) out sculpts faster than his employer could keep up with, making him an excellent employee. And finally, with a stable job and things looking up for him, Robert no longer wished to live alone and brought himself back to 240 East 53rd Street and was and asked to move back in with the Gideon family. Why on so, earth would they be all right with that? Uh, because they only had about five days with him before he disappeared. Before he decided <laughs> to chop his penis off? 
I don't, to be, to be, to be fair to the family, I don't know how much of that detail they actually knew when he was, when he left. Okay. Um, cause he did go into the hospital under a fake name. So I, I'm pretty sure he was trying to keep it under wraps. Oh my God. And the last time he was here in the, in the, in the, in the hospital, since the last time we talked about him, two years have passed. Jeez. So it's now 1934 and no longer 1932. And Rami, who was 15 at the time, now 17, had become, according to her parents, quote, boy crazy. And while Robert was not immune to her good looks, he saw her simply as a, quote, beautiful, brainless, fluffy thing. He instead had eyes for the older of the two, Ethel, who at this point had a job as a stenographer for Vanity Fair. Ethel had also enjoyed busts he had brought back from Rockland and agreed to allow him to create a bust of her as she posed for him. It's here where we see Bob truly let loose with his theories. The conversations were long, but almost entirely filled by Bob's voice, speaking of the wonder of art itself and eventually spiraling its way into visualization, filling her ears for as long as she can handle all about his theories and how soon he would be on top of the world, one of, if not the greatest sculptor to ever live. And soon after that, he fell hard and fell fast in love for Ethel. While Ethel, amused by his company, kept him around, but didn't have any romantic interest in him. He would take her out to excursions, long walks, dinners, and museums, skipping everything in between and bringing her straight to the sculptures of the museums. Unfortunately, however... six day back, he decided to cut off his penis again. (laughs) No, but unfortunately for Robert, however, (laughs) Ethel's mother ended up getting wind that Robert was trying to woo her daughter. And so she stepped in once it became clear and ended it softly by letting Robert know it wasn't because Robert was a bad man. She simply hoped that Ethel would marry rich. Robert was far from rich. However, as we learned, Robert is, if anything, undeterred and went directly to Dr. Wordham's apartment to unload and ramble, speaking of his intentions to date Ethel regardless of her mother and eventually marry her living a wonderful life as the greatest sculptor, and her, his muse. The doctor attempted to sway him for doing so, but was promptly ignored. The next week, he took Ethel on a walk, rambling about visualizations, and without warning, blurted, and and without warning or planning, blurted out a proposal as they walked the sidewalk, where he continued to speak of visualization and asked her to marry him. Ethel turned him down, letting him know that she had no interest in being with him romantically, and planned on marrying somebody else entirely. And in his own words, he just, quote, went crazy. Two weeks later, he stood by the East River Pier and contemplating for hours, jumping in before leaving, rationalizing to himself that someone from all of those boats out there would see him and rescue him, stopping him from killing himself via drowning. His rejection by Ethel spiraled him further into his own psychosis, and shortly after, he was let go from his job that he was so excellent at not too long ago. He'd become surly and angry. The morning of his firing, Magi had let Bob know that he wouldn't be working there anymore. He handed him a $25 severance check and went into the back to get Bob's tools for him while he suddenly, as he walked, got the feeling that someone was standing right behind him. When he turned around, there stood Bob, quietly with a cleaver in his hands and a dead stare in his eyes. Magi asked what the hell Bob was doing, and his response was, quote, I'm simply going to split your head right down the middle, then I'm going to fry your brains and have them for supper. Whoa. You won't miss them. You oh won't miss them. Oh, my God. You never use them anyway. And I, then, after he finished, he attacked. Magi barely was able to move out of the way and grabbed a pot of wet plaster, throwing it at Bob and hitting him square in the face. He then ran up behind Bob and grabbed him by his torso, bear-hugging him tightly and wrestling him to the ground where the cleaver came loose and dropped and skidded away. Magi then lifted him and dragged him to the front door, where he threw Robert out violently. Robert hit the sidewalk, but turned back to the building and continued to shout at Magi after being tossed, screaming, The score isn't settled! I'll get you for this! However, Magi would never see him again. What? Oh my god, dude. (sighs) Yeah, he tried to fucking, he went straight serial killer there. Like, cleaver in hand, I'm going to fry your brains up. You don't use them anyway. Like, I'm going to murder you. Can you imagine just, like, that happening? Yeah. You firing this guy, this guy who's been your best worker in God knows how long, 
And now suddenly he's kind of like he, the past few weeks he's been angry. I mean, and that's why a lot of bosses do that. Like, oh, you fired them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, real talk. That's yeah. why it happens. Just yeah, absolutely, absolutely insane. Uh, so unfortunately, this was not good for his health. Um, <laughs> uh, after this outburst, Doctor Wordham was able to finally convince Robert to once again return to Rockland, where he accepted, and then would spend the next two years doctors considered him a model patient and his violent outbursts were actually few and far between at this particular visit robert actually saw rockland now as a sort of escape and truly had no intention of leaving he was comfortable and he was safe and he could focus on his art and visualization but two years later uh, after quote much improvement yet again much to his detest robert was again released back into new york city even though he did not want to. Man. And what is the first thing you think that he did as he left, boys? Cut off his penis. Could, it could be anything, right? <laughs> the first thing that he did was track down Ethel, where he would then learn that she had married merely weeks ago at a private ceremony in Manhattan. So cool. <sighs> so cool. Man. This is just going to be... This shattered our dear Robert Irwin, and once again, he was heartbroken and immediately readmitted himself to Rockland for another six months where he focused heavily on his art and visualization once again. And one particular masterpiece that he, that he considered his masterpiece that would actually be bronzed and kept by the hospital after he left for the final time in this time, his theories again, remember his theories began to get wild before we get to the masterpiece, I can't Robert, believe I can't believe you're stalling on this. How I know, dare sorry. you? How dare Robert, you do this? Be, Robert started to believe that through visualization, he could time travel. What is he that? could shunt his consciousness forward or backward in time and inhabit his body and exist timelessly wherever he so chose. Kind of like Wolverine from Days of Future Past. Yeah. Okay. He also he also believed that teleportation would come to him that time and space would be nothing and he could bend it at his will, moving amongst the, the world as he saw fit. But the final step that he was able to, um, the final step that he believed that he would step to was actual godhood itself, where you yourself were all things that were not only possible, but inevitable for the one who could master visualizations to become a god. But his masterpiece is what he would leave behind. This is like the plot line of a villain in a Final Fantasy game. Like, just a heads up. That's what this is. It's like, I shall become his, a god. <laughs> his masterpiece was titled The Cobra. This clay statue depicted a small serpent with a coiled tail, a stubby body, and a raised hood that seemed to be swaying under the spell of a snake charmer. But it's two very specific details that made this self-proclaimed masterpiece rather odd. One, it had a pair of enormous human breasts that sat on the front of his chest. The second, however, is, was its face. The face was that of a human woman in post-coital bliss, and to those who knew what they were looking at were unmistakably met with the face of Ethel Gedeon. So, so, so kooky. So Ethel Gideon's O-face with a cobra hood and a body and huge tits <laughs> was his masterpiece. What's the I name of it? I want you to know, uh, upon looking up the cobra, uh, the cobra bronze statue, uh, he is not the only one who does very similar artwork. There's a lot of... Like, oh, really? There's a lot of bronze sort of... Uh, I, I will simply say there's a dinner table that's a naked woman in gold surrounded by a silver cobra. And I huh. simply want you to know, I can't figure out who would buy that, but <laughs> all I, I know people find would. is this bronze sculpture of the freaking <laughs> Irwin family of Australia holding an alligator <laughs> not, not together. The ones that, yeah, not the ones that uh, that we're talking about. Here. I've also discovered that there's an entire subculture of glass tables where the glass is being held up by a naked woman. There are so many of huh. them. That's bizarre. That is See, really my, weird. Why would you own out, that? Who would I don't own know. this? 
in my mind, like the, I just imagine like this very peaceful, calm Robert Irwin on the day he's being released. All the nurses looking at his final piece that he hands over to them, mystified by its weird sexuality, but damn, it's good and talented. And he quietly with a smirk leaves. We don't actually get a good view of the cobra until it gets put on the table and the camera zooms in and we see the face of Ethel and it goes to black and it's like the villain is born. It looks that's, that's fucking the, weird, dude. Do it's you, weird. Do you have well, where do you see this? I don't have a picture of it. It's not in the book. So it, right imagine, here. I don't it looks different probably than you think it does. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay, take actually, this. Actually, yes. I was surprised because it's not in the book. So take a yeah, little let's take a look at this for thing. you guys. Drop it in. I love it. Oh, I'm actually excited to see this. How the hell do I make this work? Hold on. I don't know. That's a good question. I, uh you know what? I'm just gonna give you this website and then you guys Yeah, that'll work too. You guys can Are you doing it in the Zoom chat? Yeah, you guys can navigate to it on your own. It's uh it's weird. No one uh, doubts yeah, that it's weird. Clicker. I'm ready to see this. Nonsense. I want to see this thing. Oh yeah. Oh wow. No, honestly, like I can I can see like Yeah, it's off oh to the right. Oh my god, more. yes. Yeah. The like snake well, woman sculpture. Yeah. Bizarre. Like that's a that's a well done statue though, you know? Like if it didn't have weird implications attached to it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like it's just a neat artistic bizarre sexual snake. Yeah, I mean it it's certainly like a compelling piece of art, I, I guess. Yes. And not, I don't want to say it's like a compelling piece of art, but it's like not a piece of shit. It's like when I look at uh, it, you can see talent. I mean, it, you know it I mean? has the coil of a nice poop. That's for sure. It's almost <laughs> yes. a poop emoji. It is almost a poop emoji. Uh, anyway, after leaving for the final time of Rockland after six months, Robert attempted to ingratiate himself into normal life, but he was simply far too gone, consumed with two things visualization and Ethel knowing she was married and no longer within the safety of Rockland. He once again did what he did best headed to the pier and prepared himself for the end. But as things tend to turn out for Robert, this isn't how it would go. What? As he gazed into the river debating ending his life, quote, the water then turned to light and was swirling all around like a liquid light. It was just as beautiful as can be. The water rushed beneath them and eventually, quote, the water of the river rose up and swirled all around him, molding itself into the form of Ethel. What? Her hair was gold. I saw it just as clear as flesh and blood. He had finally in his mind progressed his visualization skills and realized he was on the brink of attaining godhood. So it's weird to me that he goes to this river again I think it's like the third or like the third time he's debating jumping off and every single time he's come up with a reason not to. And this time he sits there for apparently hours debating, jumping off. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after years of his own dick causing him issues, he suddenly has a breakthrough in his visualization and he no longer feels like he's stunted in his growth and Godhood is at the, the grass. But this to me, it just feels like another rationalization of for the actions that he decided he's about to take. This guy this, is already though, just like this, like crazy mean, like evil, like threatening guy. Like, yes. It's, oh yeah. He didn't like succeed at like not being a terror on this no. earth. No, he's, uh, he just goes up to, he always wants to kill himself and then finds a reason not to basically. Yeah. But this is also very similar to his dad who did the yes. whole fire thing, which is like, I oh, am yeah. all on fire all that. Time. And he's like, we, water we is my thing. We skipped. Uh, he actually, at some point in, in that time, um, he actually does dive into fundamentalist religion again, only to be kicked out when he gets into a fight and beats somebody up. So he does dive into it. And like, it's not, it's not necessary to talk about, but he does. There's a good time point in his life where he decides that that's worth God exploring. Um, simply because of his father, actually. But anyway, uh, now on the, uh, he's on the brink of attaining godhood. He was simply lacking one last thing to roll, uh, to fill the role of risen redeemer, just like Jesus Christ. Like Christ himself, he would need a sacrifice. Just as these, Jesus died and rose from the dead from the tomb, so too would Bob. But Bob, but realizing, at least having a self-realization that in order to rise up again and become the embodiment of the redeemer of Christ, that he would have to die and rise again. He said, quote, while Christ went down into the grave and rose from the tomb in immortality, I'm worried that when, uh, when I go to the grave, which meant suicide by drowning, that I would not rise again. Quote, all the principles for which he had worked so hard for so many years would vanish. 
basically he was afraid that if he jumped in and committed suicide, that he wouldn't come back to life. So clearly he wasn't that convinced that he was on the verge of godhood in my mind. I feel like it's one of those things where you just say it like over and over and over again. And then like someday you have to like do something about it maybe. And you're just like, yeah. just sort of like the same delusion over and over again. Now we're about to move into some rather dark spots. So everybody just prepare yourselves instead of a, instead of a, instead of sacrificing himself, a solution came to mind. He could sacrifice somebody else and he would sacrifice Ethel. The internal pressure generated by her murder would be so intense that he would be liberated from all the bonds of mortality and would arrive at the stage of redeemer born again as a God. And now with the plan and believing that Ethel was still living apart from her husband, he decided to seek her out at Mary and Ronnie's apartment where he once lived an apartment just a few blocks away. Fortunately for Ronnie and unfortunately for the others, she now lived with her husband and no longer lived at her family's. And along the way, with this plan in place, he came across a discarded ice pick on the streets, probably dropped by the ice delivery services at that time. He scooped it up, went to a hardware store and bought a filer, filing the dulled ice pick tip to a sharp point. It's from this point, I'm actually going to read the confession directly from the book in his words. Oh, and we'll man. go over what happened after the, the murder, his subsequent catching, and what ended up happening to our dear Robert. That night, I said to myself, I'm going up there and killing Ethel. I never intended to get anybody but her. I thought after killing Ethel, then they would kill me in the chair, but I didn't care. Then I said to myself that after being in the nut house all your life, you can't go to the chair. You might, but the chances are that you won't. They'll put me in the nut house again, and then I'll be there all the rest of my life and catch up with myself in a spiritual way. After sharpening the ice pick, I had walked to the apartment building at 316 East 50th Street. Mrs. Gideon did not want me to uh, Mrs. Gideon did not want me to have anything to do with Ethel. Outside of that, she was always very friendly to me. Mary and Mary and the mother actually ended up coming home coming home earlier that day. Ethel was nowhere in sight. The mother had seen me and invited me upstairs to have a drink and talk. I imagine she wanted me to no longer speak to Ethel, and eventually that came from her. Assuming that she was out having a good time, I did my best to stall until Ethel returned. Pulling out a little pad and pencil, I began to draw Mary's portrait. I took just as long as I could on that picture, and all of the time I was feeling her out about Ethel. Bob was still sketching when the little Englishman Frank Beerns showed up. She was staying at this house now, in the empty room. He wasn't related, and he simply paid them rent. He and Bob shook hands and exchanged a few pleasantries before Behrens retired to his bedroom and closed the door. He had been there for more than an hour, and Mary, who still had some holiday uh, preparations to attend to before she went to bed, said, Bob, Ethel isn't here, and it's very late. I replied, I'm going to stay here until I see Ethel. Mary, her patience at an end, half rose from her seat and yelled, get out of here, or I'm going to call the Englishman. It's at that point, Bob went mad. At that moment, he related, I hit her with everything I had. She fell back on the floor with her legs back over her head. I grabbed her by the neck. I was astonished at the fight she made. She had plenty of life in her. She scratched my face like nobody's business. I had Mrs. Gideon by the throat and I never let loose of that throat for 20 minutes. 20 Finally, minutes? her arms dropped back limp and her shoulders sagged on the floor. Dude. All the time, this damned Englishman was in the next room just 10 feet away. She died right in front of that room just 10 feet away. She put up a hell of a fight. I can't understand why she didn't bring the whole town down on us. At this point, it's narrative Bob reveals that a detail so obscene that it was censored from all published versions of his confession, made even more shocking by the matter-of-fact tone in which he divulged it. It explained that the injuries that the medical examiner uh, had found on Mary Gideon, Gideon's genitalia area. Mary Gideon had, in fact, been sexually violated after death, but not by Robert Irwin. Quote, while I had her on the floor, the dog put his nose in her private parts. I continued to choke her out for about 20 minutes before I was sure she was lifeless. I wanted to degrade her as slow as, possibly, as I possibly could, so I pulled her garments from her body and allowed the dog to ravish her. Whoa! What the fuck? This is where I, this is why, and this is part of the reason I believe he was going to do this at some point. I, I, he enjoyed the killings too much. 
And that was just one of three. My face was badly scratched. A hand were full of blood. I smeared it on her, on her face, and on her breast. Then I threw her in the bedroom under the bed. Wait, the, the dude was in the next in, room? Uh, he would, There's a couple of rooms. He brought her to her room and put her under her bed. Well, the Englishman was in his room. Who went? He went to bed. Yes, the Englishman is still awake and asleep in the other How room. How the hell did none of this get heard? Uh, good question. We ain't done. My hands are so full. Oh, uh, sorry. And then um, the dog crawled in after his mistress when I put her under the bed. I thought of killing the animal too, but refrained out of pity. He was still convinced that Ethel would show up. He had no intention of leaving until he had, quote, done what I had come to do. I had to keep waiting for Ethel. She was the one I felt I must kill. I simply had to wait for her to finish what I had planned. He realized that Ronnie might arrive first. He had no desire to kill her. Quote, she was beautiful and I hate to destroy beauty. I said to myself, if Ronnie comes in, I can tie her up and leave her. He had read somewhere that if you put a bar of soap in a sock, he can make a a blackjack. And that's what he ended up doing. That he would, quote, stun, uh, stun, but nothing more. So I went in the kitchen and got some ordinary soap and made a blackjack out with, uh, with a wash rag. He would later be amused to read in the tabloids that he had used the soap to carve a small sculpture of Ethel. But that's not how it went down. At about 3 a.m., he heard Ronnie enter after saying a laughing goodnight to someone in the hallway. She went directly into the bathroom while he waited in the darkness of the little bedroom where he had concealed her mother's corpse. Quote, she stayed in there the longest time. I thought she was never coming out. It was already 4 a.m. when Ronnie suddenly entered uh, the bedroom. Bob, who had been lost in thoughts of Ethel and hadn't heard Ronnie leave the bathroom, hurriedly, quote, let her have it with the blackjack. The soap went all over the floor. It didn't have the slightest effect. I can well believe that she was drunk because she didn't put up any fight at all, he said. Grabbing her by the throat, he dragged her onto the bed. I held her the longest time, just tight enough that she could breathe. There were moments when the pressure was relaxed enough so that she could speak a few words, but not loudly. Disguising his voice, he asked her where Ethel was. Ronnie answered that she was at home with her husband. I gave it up and I didn't know just what in God's name I would do. I wanted to let Ronnie live if I could. We were always pals. I suppose she, sh- uh, she thought I was going to rape her. She said, please don't touch me. I just had an operation. and The doctor said if I had intercourse, I would die. I had no such thought in mind. So I kept holding on. Just light enough to prevent noise, not tight enough to kill. He estimated that he had his grip on her for around two hours. What? He had little sense of passage of time. Yeah. He says, quote, when you get in a mix up like that, you don't think about what you're doing. And time means nothing. What? The whole night passed to me like a blue daze. Finally, her voice weak and tremulous. Ronnie said, Bob, I know you. You are going to get in trouble if you do this. But those were the words that would be what got her killed. The minute she used my name, Bob said, I clamped down on her and choked her until she was lifeless. She immediately became the most repulsive thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was like blue death just oozing out, a spiritual emanation just oozing out. I turned on the lights and ripped off her chemist, leaving her on the top of the bed, her mother's body underneath. He then put out the lights and left the room. It was daybreak by then. Knowing that Frank Bairns was in the, uh, to identify him, he, quote, went God. in and fixed the Englishman with the ice pick that he intended to use on Ethel. I struck him, in the, I struck him the first time in the temple so far as it would go. Oh, the pick was about God. six inches long. The poor fellow lay there twitching but did not bleed. I had to hit him 11 times. What? After I put him out of his misery, I went in and took a little clock. The last thing I said to myself was, buddy, you did it. Up until that moment in Bob's recitation, no one had interrupted him. Now, however, those who were asking the questions wanted to know how he felt about the murders. He said, I'm certainly sorry I killed all three of them. There was only one I was after, and that was Ethel. I don't know whether it was hate or love that made me want to kill her. If she had come in first, I would have killed her and nobody else. I don't think I would have marred up her features, because I only wanted to stab her once with the ice pick. One little hole wouldn't show. And then when he was asked what, what was expected to happen of him, he said, whatever is coming to me, I'll take. And he said that with a smile. If I, don't take, if I don't get the chair and I go to an institution, I'll use my money to hire someone to work for me to drill me in visualiza- visualization. I want to develop myself. Even if I die, that won't be the end of it. That cycle comes back. These people I killed aren't lost. There are, theirs are borrowed lives. And if I live, I will reap them. 
I only meant to borrow one life. I will repay these lies by developing that power of visualizing, which is the next step in the evolution of the human race. This guy is just in another world completely. This is so sad. It is. It's horrendous what happened. Afterward, he went on the run, knowing that there were still people within the city that knew him and the rest of the family might suspect him as they had all met him. Jesus. But he first spent about a week in his apartment that was a, literally across the block from the police station. And every single day, he would stay in his apartment and watch as the cops would gather every morning, trying to figure out who exactly killed the family. Now, he claims that if they had pinned the murder on the father, which they were uh, going down that road initially, that he was going to turn himself in. However, uh, to his dismay, after a few months and being on a train headed to Chicago, he learned that his face had been put out. Somebody who had known him in the past had fingered him as the one who had a thing for Ethel and the one who had constant violent outbursts. After getting his, his description out and getting his recognition out there, Bob once again decided to take things into his own hands. If he was going to go in, he was going to go in on his own terms and make himself the star. So he went back to New York, turned himself in after giving a long interview to a local newspaper, detailing every act of his murders and his crimes. He then was dominant in the tabloids and became a star for months. He reveled in it. God. And the lawyer who defended him was able to get him life in prison, not the chair. And in that time, while in prison, his goal was a new step in the evolutionary tract. He was going to be able to focus on storing so much electricity in his body that he would eventually melt the bars that held him, freeing himself from prison and taking to the streets, reborn as the Redeemer, the God he was always meant to be. Unfortunately for Robert, the clock that he stole and the paintings that he, or the arts that he consistently would rip out made him well too known to those who he surrounded himself with. And so after long, dear old Robert was arrested and lived out the rest of his life in prison. Dying. Oh shit, I forget what year he died. I didn't write it down. But he died later on in life. And that would be the end of the story of Robert Irwin. Dude, that was like dead ass the dude from Bioshock. Like that was crazy. His quote, by the way, about electricity is a quote. He believes that by 1948, he'll have stored enough energy in his body to melt the prison bars. Did he die before 1948? Uh, trial. No. Uh, yeah. He, oh, yeah. He died before he was able to melt anything. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, really no, much I would agree with that statement. No matter when he died. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he that's died true. He wasn't going to melt, melt anything. anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, very true. Agreed. And that's it. If you want to know oh. more details about Robert Irwin, if you want to go into the life of him, when he went through his whole religious phase and all that other nonsense, there's plenty more. Um, this was the highlights, so to speak. The whole, um, the cops trying to get him, there was a point in time where they really were going to put the father in prison. It wasn't until a last minute identification from an old friend of him that was able to point them in the right direction. It's nuts. It's nuts. But uh, yeah, that's it, boys. Another true crime journey in the books. That is... I, sorry to end it on this, such a grim note. I'm that is brutal. <laughs> it got brutal at the end. It's like insanity and hilarity up until the point where he just like... And uh, to Dr. Wordham's um, credit, that last time they let him out, he <coughs> tried to tell them not to because he was so far gone and he was so in his own delusions that it was obvious that he was going to do something bad, whether it was murder or something else. But the uh, Rockland didn't like there was too many people and they just couldn't keep him. So they're just like, he's fine. That is they so unfortunate. Out. Dude. That yeah. sucks, man. That does suck. Thank you, boys, for letting me take you on this journey. Thank you, God. listeners, for coming along on the on the true crime. Uh, again, if you want to do your research, it's called The Mad Sculptor. If you want to read along, great book, really, really great book and a lot of great research in there. Uh, Harold Schechter is just an excellent author. Um, that's it. Uh, next week. I don't have anything super prepped for next week. Alex, are you going to bring us a little treat? I'll bring you, you, think a, you, I'll bring you a little treat. I'll bring you a little, All right. a little, a little, you know, a little Alex episode. I got, just I a got treat. two. I got two that are, that are, that I'm like working on. So. All right. We'll cool, see. cool. Oh man. We've started on the back end. Um, uh, I tweeted about it. MK ultra is in full swing. Everybody You'd love to see it guys. That is going to be a five plus parter. At least the thing is going to be enormous. I mean, if you, need, if you need time, Alex, I can always Jesse episode. Anytime that you Are want you to. Anytime yeah. literally that you want to. 
Jesse, people have been screaming for a Jesse episode. Do we, is so it let that me time? You, Do we need a Jesse episode? I think we. I think it's time for a, a Jesse, either histories, mysteries, or something else. I will, you know what? Next time, I'll give you an episode. All right, I'll do this. You heard it here for first, you. folks. Jesse has the episode next week. Until then, we've got to go record a minisode for the Patreon, patreon.com slash Illuminati pod for a little extras. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, head over to the subreddit. It's also Ch- uh, Pod is a subreddit. Lots of stories, lots of dreams. Um, lots of people just talking about cool lots articles and UFO sightings. Lots of dreams, dude. So many dreams now. Jesse, you've started a thing. It's, it's happened. I'm so you want thrilled. to reach us on social so media, so, uh, Twitter, I'm at Mathis Games. Jesse's at Jesse Cox. Alex is at Fossian AA and the podcast at Chiluminati Pod. That's it for us. We love you. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.